Question, when, on page 67, when have you felt like you couldn't believe your eyes? When have you had an encounter and you saw something and you, you just couldn't believe what you were seeing? Anybody had an experience like that recently? I just had one on Wednesday. Wednesday. Uh, yeah, we were coming back from the Spanish Belt and the other one was bad, and I said, Lord, I can't believe this crazy pilot drove this boat in this bad weather. Oh my, I thought we were going to sink. I don't know, oh my goodness. <laughs> mm. Whoa. Okay. Anybody else? <laughs> Saw something you couldn't believe your eyes. Couldn't believe what you were seeing. Well. I just couldn't believe my eyes when my son mashed my wife's Land Rover. I mean, he just drove down the hill, make a turn, no and kidding. smashed it up. What? Oh. Yeah. what? Yeah. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> well, oh my goodness. I had just taken it out of the shop less than two weeks ago. Whoa. You know, it had to go into Oh. And I just couldn't believe my eyes. <laughs> but but, but I, think, I think it was a learning process for him and his teenage life. Mm-hmm. And Joseph? After, yeah. it, okay. after all, we had a beautiful family devotion, <laughs> which I think may be the beginning of him changing uh, his teenage life into a more mature life. Okay. So that's why you got to drive the car. <laughs> yeah, I, I just couldn't believe my eyes. But, you know, these are ex- experiences that most teenagers go through. And he, I mean, he could have lost his life like this. But, you know, um, in it all, we had a family devotion. And I think it was a meaningful devotion for us all. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I had one recently, uh, I got an email uh, one day and um, the email said that um, the commissioner wants a new mattress for his bed. So I said, what? You know, so I, what? what, what? So I, I tried to email the guy back. And I couldn't get him. Well, I emailed him and I asked him, what's wrong with the mattress? Right? Uh, I didn't get a response. I tried calling him and couldn't get through to him. And, uh, and I was on vacation. I went on vacation and I didn't get a response. I said, well, if it's that bad, he'll get back to me. All right? So while I was on vacation one day, the commissioner himself called me. And he said, man, uh, you know, he complimented me. He says, Good to be back in Nassau, you know. I couldn't believe you all still have the same house and all that stuff. And he said, man, this mattress is killing me and my wife. So it's now back. We need you to do something with this mattress, man. Mm-hmm. So I said, uh, well, you know, when you were there in 2011, uh, you had the same complaint and we replaced the mattress. I remember because the guys had a very difficult time getting that mattress up the stairs because it's a king-size mattress. Uh, so I said, we changed the mattress and that seemed to solve the issues. He says, well, I don't know what he said. Sometimes I have to go and sleep downstairs on the couch because it's hurting my back, man. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll look into it. You know, and uh, I never got a response uh, from the, the, the assistant uh, uh, commissioner, uh, the, the assistant superintendent who sent me the message. 
you know, so I talked to my boss about it, and uh, well, he asked me if I could get him a pot uh, for the bed. And I said, well, we'll look into it now. We only provide the basic furniture. If you've got back problems and you need therapeutic stuff and all that stuff, you know, supposed to But I couldn't believe my eyes when I saw that email because we had to see. In fact, when I, when I informed uh, my boss and landlords about it, it was him who, who, who sent me the email back from 2011 where we had the same issue. You know, so that's one of my issues where I couldn't believe my eyes because I thought that problem had gone away. Uh, so we'll see what happens. The, the police... The department rents one of the houses that uh, that I manage, and they bought this fella back. He got promoted to deputy commissioner of police. Uh, so they brought him back from Freeport, and he's living there. And uh, I guess sometimes his wife comes over and spends time with her, with him. Because I don't think she's moved completely. She's employed with the Port Authority in Freeport. So that was uh, something that I couldn't believe what I, when I saw it. Because I thought that was an issue that was gone, dealt with. All right, so we'll see what happens. Okay, let's look at Bible meets life. Okay, somebody want to read that, please? I never saw it. Most of my family and friends saw it, or at least they claimed they did. I remain convinced that they were all in on an elaborate hoax that started in the mid-1990s. Back then, the latest fad were 3D holographic prints. You were supposed to focus your eyes, stare blankly at a repeating pattern, and then claim you saw a different image suddenly popping out at you. It's a rocket. It's a grasshopper. It's a panda bear. It's hogwash. <laughs> or at least that's what I told myself. It became a big joke around my house at the time, but the truth is, I was a little unnerved in thinking something really was there, but my eyes just couldn't see it. I didn't like the idea that I couldn't trust my own eyes. <laughs> Can we trust what we see around us? As Christians, we must accept the reality that our senses will sometimes lie to us. That's why living in a Christ-centered way means making the choice to place our trust in God, not in our circumstances. Okay. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So what is our point today? Christ-centered living chooses trust in God, not in the circumstances. Okay, and that's important to remember because a lot of times people think temporal. They think of only the here and now. And, and most of the times they think that way is based on the circumstances that they find themselves in or the circumstances uh, of their entire lives and, 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 and everybody else. Okay, let's, uh, let's look at the first uh, passage we have. Uh, Numbers chapter 13, 26 to 30 on page 69. Someone read that please. The man ran back to Moses, Aaron, and the entire Israelite community in the wilderness of Paran and Kadesh. They brought back a report to them and the whole community, and they showed them the fruit of the land. They reported to Moses, you then into the land where you sent us. Indeed, it is flowing with milk and honey, and there is some of its fruit. 
and here is some of his food. However, the people living in the land are strong, and the cities are large and fortified. We also saw the descendants of Anak there. The Anakites are living in the land of the Nevis. I can just buy the now. I want the bites. <laughs> okay, all the bites. Led by the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people in the presence of Moses and said, Let's go on. Now and take possession of the land because we can safely conquer it. Okay, so we, we, we remember that incident, right? Uh, um, Moses sent out a team to scout the land that they were going into, and um, they went. And uh, you had two groups of people who saw something differently that, they, that their eyes couldn't believe. One group saw the fruit, and they couldn't believe their eyes when they saw the size of those fruits. Okay, then the other group saw the people who lived in the land, they couldn't believe their eyes and they saw how the size of the people. Alright, and so they both went back with their individual reports. Let's look at the paragraphs beneath that verse now. The Israelites were desperate for God to make good on the promise he had given to Abraham centuries before. The promise of a land of their own. As we read Numbers 13, we find God's people on the brink of finally seeing the promise fulfilled. But there was a catch. Don't you hate it when there's always a catch, eh? There was a catch. True enough, the land was fertile and expansive. The spies sent to evaluate the situation even brought back evidence, that, evidence of that fruitfulness to show to the people. But while this promised land contained oversized grapes, it also contained oversized residents, powerful armies with oversized strength and oversized resolve. All the military evidence indicated the Israelites had made a terrible mistake. Surely we can relate, can't we? We all have moments when our circumstances contradict our faith. When the sickness, the failed relationship, the job loss, or the financial downturn looms large, and all God's truths that once gave us such confidence suddenly seem insufficient. We look to the promises we find in God's word. We find it difficult to see them at work because of the giants towering over us. One of the spies was not overwhelmed, however. Caleb had eyes fixed not on the extent of the circumstances, but on the promises of God. Caleb's statement in verse 30 was more than an expression of optimism. It was an expression of obedience. Let's go up now and take possession of the land because we can certainly conquer it. The key word here was certainly. The other spies apparently thought their mission objective was to assess what was before them and decide whether or not they would do what God had told them to do. 
For Caleb, they had no decision to make. Regardless of what he faced circumstantially, Caleb had resolved to actively trust in God. The mission to him was simply to find out how big an obstacle God was going to overcome on their behalf. A couple of points we want to point out, uh, main points we want to point out from that, those paragraphs. The first one is the Israelites were desperate for God to make good on the promise he had given to Abraham centuries before. The promise of a land of their own. As we read in Numbers 13, we find God's people on the brink of finally seeing that promise fulfilled. But there was a catch. And we need to remember that because whenever we are on the brink of experiencing God's promises, the devil always has a way of throwing a monkey wrench in there or a spoke in the wheel. There's always a catch. And we see that uh, with the children of Israel. And the second point is, surely we can relate, can't we? We have all had moments when our circumstances contradict our faith. We thought it was going to be smooth sailing. And then there's a hitch. And then the third point is, one of the spies was not overwhelmed, however. Caleb had eyes fixed not on the extent of the circumstances, but on the promises of God. How many times have we find ourselves focused on the extent of the circumstances we encounter rather than on the promises that God has made to us? We've all been there, right? We've all seen that over and over again. And sometimes we allow the extent of the circumstances to overwhelm us to the point where we totally forget about the promises. <laughs> promises don't exist. And that's, the, that's the, 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 the challenge that the devil confronts us with. He wants us to forget the promises. Because remember now, throughout the history of God's people, God's people were always good at reminding God of the promises that he made. And God wants us to do that. God wants us to remind him of the promises that he made all the time. And many times we are so overwhelmed with the circumstances that we forget. Wait a minute. God made me a promise. I need to hold him to that promise. God doesn't have a problem with us holding him to the promises that he made. He wants us to hold him to his promises. Remember, God is uh, not a dictator. He wants us to ask. And that's why the Bible says, ask and you will receive. Knock and what? Seek and you will find. Okay? Even though he's omniscient, he knows everything. There's nothing he doesn't know, but he wants us to ask. Why? Because he wants us to rely on him as a promise-keeping God. Someone said, said this, some, somewhere that there were some 32,000 promises in the scriptures. I think there's probably more than that. Uh, but there are thousands and thousands of promises in the, in the Bible that God has given us. And he wants us to call him up on every single one of them. Every single one of them. He wouldn't have made them if he doesn't want us to hold them to it. Okay, so don't let the circumstances or the extent of the circumstances cause us to forget the promises. Question number two. What people or circumstances have helped you learn how to trust? 
when people or circumstances have helped you learn how to trust. You probably got a, a, a circumstance in your life that God challenged you with, and through that circumstance you learned in a new and exciting way how to trust God. Anybody had that experience? I'm sure we all have. You just need to remember, remember which one, right? Hmm? Travels? Anybody could recount an incident? Um, I trusted him to find a Christian husband. Hmm? I trusted him to find me a Christian husband. Okay, DeAndre trusted him to find a Christian husband, and he did. Okay, anybody else? I, I you know, mine um, goes back to when I was really young. Mm-hmm. I think I, I thank the Lord that He gave me parents who love each other and love the Lord so much. And when they taught us the Word of God, it was easy to believe what they taught me about God. So they helped me to trust God quite easily when I'm from when I was very young. And that has served me well, you know, year by year in my mm-hmm. life and my experiences with the Lord, I thank Him for because my trust is always building because of his perfect track record of mm-hmm. taking care of me and providing whatever it was. But Amen. I used my parents to help me um, learn to trust God, I'd say initially. Amen. Okay. And I've told you about my own, uh, that I had uh, probably a couple of times. I was in an accident in Florida um, going to, from Jacksonville to to where I was going, where I was going, um, to Pensacola Christian College. And um, I was in an accident with a four-car smash-up on Interstate 10 going through Tallahassee. And I was by myself uh, because my family was in Nassau. But the thing is, when I got, got to all of that, got back home here in the Bahamas, and no, before I got back home, I was served with a summons. I was being sued by somebody in the accident uh, who was involved in it. And this guy, he actually caused the accident. I don't know why he was sued with me. But he was sued with me and the car rental company. Uh, the car was totaled. Uh, and I got, um, it was a, probably about an hour that the rental car replaced the car and I was able to continue on my journey with a lot of courage. I needed to continue on that journey. But when I got back, I got the summons and I was being sued. And it was, I can say it was one of those circumstances that was bigger than me. Because when I got the summons, and you know all the wording, all the legal mumbo-jumbo that they have in those lawsuit summonses, right? It's kind of scary. But I, you know, I said, you know, Lord, you know, the only reason why I'm here is because you brought me here. And if you're going to allow this to happen, I know you're going to deal with it. And I remember Hezekiah when he got that letter from the king. Remember that, that story? And I got before him and I spread that summons before the Lord. I said, Lord, this is bigger than me, but it's not bigger than you. And that lawsuit went on for the four years we were there. Four years. Every couple of days I would get a notice from the lawyers. Uh, a, lawyer, a lawyer was appointed uh, by the car rental company to deal with the case. And they were trying to settle it. So every, uh, but I got a letter. The day after the summons, I got a letter from the law firm saying that they had been acquired to deal with this and I don't have to worry about nothing, they'll take care of everything. If they need a deposition, they'll come to Jacksonville, I don't have to go to Tallahassee, 
all kinds of stuff. I said, boy, that was an answer to prayer. God just took care of it. I didn't even have to pay for posted stuff. That whole issue, God took care of it. And I was able to continue what I had gone there to do to do ministry. And when I got back home, I got a letter from the law law firm stating that the law, the, 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 the suit had been resolved. They're taking care of it. And they settled for less than what they were asking for. I said, thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. God makes promises and he keeps them. You know, so that's my uh, situation where God exceeded the circumstances because I trusted him enough to say, Lord, this ain't my problem. This is your problem. Take care of it. And he did. Okay, unfortunately, the majority of the Israelites were not as optimistic or as confident in God as Caleb. And as we'll see in Numbers 14, 6 to 10, that confidence almost got him killed. So let's look at those verses. Someone read verses 6 to 10. Anybody? <laughs> Joshua son of Nun and Caleb son of Jephunneh, who were among those who scouted out the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite community, the land we passed through and explored is an extremely good land. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us into this land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and give it to us. Only don't rebel against the Lord, and don't be afraid of the people of the land, for we will devour them. Their protection has been removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. While the whole community threatened to stone them, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tent of meeting. Okay. Question number three. What makes fear a significant obstacle to faith? What makes fear a significant obstacle to faith? Keep in mind the verses we just read. It takes our eye. It can. It can take our eyes off of Jesus, and we start focusing on the temporal, you know, these things, instead of our Almighty Heavenly Father, who's in control and will take care of it. Right. It, it causes us to focus on the obstacle of the fear, rather than the object of our faith. Mm -hmm. All right. So we we, we tend to, to get sidetracked. Uh, and that's, that's, that's what the enemy's goal is, to get us to take our eyes off what our eyes are supposed to be on and to, and to be distracted. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs beneath that verse. Someone want to read that, please? Yeah. All right, G.K. Chesterton once wrote, a dead thing can go with the stream but only a living thing can go against it. Mm -hmm. Joshua and Caleb, very much alive in their faith, went against the stream. In this case, the stream was the entire Israelite community. Christians know what that's like, given that Christ followers have always lived set apart from the culture. In fact, those of us in the church are literally the called out ones. We are willing to stand in conviction when everyone else bows to the winds of the times. What gives us that kind of resolve? 
The same thing that empowered Joshua and Caleb, the knowledge that God is with us. Such knowledge offers a number of benefits as well. First, the presence of God means we are never truly alone. God has given us his word with more than enough direction for us to follow his will. When we make the choice to live faithfully by what God has already said, we can be confident we're living inside of God's revealed will. When we are doing what he's told us to do in his word, we can do so with confidence. He is with us. Secondly, the presence of God means we never walk without direction. Joshua and Caleb didn't know the specifics of how the conquest of the promised land would pan out. They simply trusted God to give them the direction they needed when they needed it. The same is true for Christians today. And thirdly, the presence of God means we're never away from his power. Numbers 14.10 shows God's emphatic support for Joshua and Caleb. Similarly, Christians have the blessing of God's Holy Spirit. When we're walking in God's will, we can rest assured we're also walking in His power. Okay. So we notice uh, a couple of things there on that bullet list. The presence of God means we are never truly alone. When is it that we feel most alone? When we face challenges, right? When there are obstacles too big for us. You feel like you're all by yourself. Okay, and that's the time we need to be mindful that we're not alone, truly. And then the second bullet point is the presence of God means we never walk without direction. Okay, God always orders the steps of his people. When you're walking with God, you always know where you're going. You may not have the details, because sometimes God doesn't give the details, but that's why faith is necessary. We walk by faith and not by sight. You may not see where you're going, but God says, you just keep going that way. He knows what he's doing. And then the presence of God means we're never away from his power. God is omnipotent. There's no power greater than God's power. Uh, contrary to what many people would have us to think or believe, there's no power like God's power. God's presence, the presence of God means that we're never away from his power. Isn't that comforting? Yes. Yes. That's really comforting because when we see what's going on in the world today, mm. you really need that kind of, you need that kind of uh, promise that God uh, has promised. I was at a, a funeral one day and um, uh, a young man who went on to be with the Lord and uh, one of the officers, he was a defense force officer, and one of the officers that I knew from growing up, a believer, he got up to share on, as I knew him, boy, and he started to preach. And he, before he left the stage, he said, uh, now you notice what happened in Israel, uh, Israel, uh, Jerusalem has now become the capital, and he started to go on and, and on and on, and uh, they wanted to pull his coat, <laughs> you know, because, hey, Errol, what you need? Okay. <laughs> uh, but he started to talk about how God God's, is so awesome in his power. And uh, we need to be mindful of that. You know, the, the, the way the world is going now, we could be very well overwhelmed by some of the things that we see happening. But we need to be mindful that God is all 
powerful. And his program is on schedule. Okay, nothing is off tilter or off course. God's program is on schedule. Uh, so that's a company thought, isn't it? Okay, as we conclude with Numbers 14, 21 to 24, we'll see what God himself had to say about the Israelites' refusal to enter into the promised land. So let's look at those verses. Verses. As surely as I live and as the whole earth is filled with the Lord's glory, none of the men who have seen my glory and the signs I performed in Egypt and the wilderness and have tested me these ten times and did not obey me will ever see the land that I swore to give their fathers. None of those who have despised me will see it. But since my servant Caleb has a different spirit and has remained loyal to me, I will bring him into the land where he has gone and his descendants will inherit it. Okay, question number four. When has God kept his promise in a way that helped you trust him more? When has God kept his promise in a way that helped you to trust him more? In other words, God, uh, God kept his promise to you in such a situation where you came to resolve, boy, I'm so sorry that I didn't trust God before. I'll never do that again. Was that a response that you've ever had in a circumstance? Well, I remember many years ago when we first went to the Turks and Caicos Islands as missionaries, we were with the mission board that was a faith board and mm -hmm. we raised the promise of support from different churches. And we had promised support of $300 a month. And uh, of course, that was in the early 60s. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, so the first month that we were there, we got our statement mm -hmm. and it was for only $100. $40. And we were paying rent for our building, which was 75 for our house, which was $75 a month. And I, I said to my husband, I said, oh my word, I said, what are we going to do? I was distraught, to be honest. I, I just could not believe it. He was a very calm person. And he said, well, where God leads us, he'll provide. He said, you believe that God has led us here. Mm -hmm. I said, uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I just couldn't, I couldn't see then what was going to take place. Well, we only got mail once a week. And so, but the very next week, a church that didn't even support us, they hadn't promised to support us, sent us a check for I think it was $150. And so my husband says, you see? <laughs> well, that taught me a wonderful lesson. And um, I never forgot it, mm -hmm. that God truly provides where he leads. And uh, it's been with me through, through years. And Amen. God has always provided. God has a way of doing that, doesn't he? You know, I had a similar story. Um, the reason why I was in Jacksonville uh, when I had that accident was because we had gone there to do, um, to, to assist a ministry in an inner city. 
with inner city ministries and we had gotten um, our, our religious visa was for four years but the key was we had to raise our own support for the four years that we would be there right and so uh, we had to try and raise the support and I remember um, this brother in the assembly where I was he was a he owned a steel business and um, he called me one day and says uh, I'd like to take you to lunch and um, so I said okay and uh, we went to lunch at his favorite place and uh, he said uh, during the lunch he said I want to support you for the entire time that you're going to be in Jacksonville and he told me the amount of what was interesting was the missions board that I actually worked for here when I told him that the Lord directed us to go to Florida to do missions he said, well, we don't support anything outside of the Bahamas, so God bless you. And they, they, they withdrew the support that I was getting here. And what was interesting about that lunch meeting was the brother, he knew nothing about that. But his support was the exact amount that the mission board withdrew. He had no way of knowing that. What was interesting too was we had gone to Jacksonville a couple of years before to do a, an outreach under a tent. And he was one of the persons who went on that trip. And uh, we stayed at um, the houses at Calvary Bible College. And one of the times we would go out and we'd do ministry and we would come back and we would share the experiences that we had. And I remember sitting in that, that uh, lounge area one evening when we came back and he broke down and he wept like a baby because of the experience that he had with people who, so many people who were so lost and, and apparently hopeless. And he just wept. And it was the same brother who came to me and invited me to lunch and says, you know, I'll support you for the, I'll do it through the church. I'll give the church to the, the money to the church and they will send it to you. Amazing. And that definitely helped us to trust God more because every year we had to come back, we had to come back every year and go to the U.S. Embassy and renew our status. But we had to also assure them that we had to, that we still had the support uh, to do that. And so definitely, um, that promise uh, that was made by that brother helped us to trust God more during those four years uh, that we were there. Okay, let's look at the paragraphs now beneath that verse. Uh, someone want to read that, please? People have short memories, even when it comes. Is that where I am? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. People have short memories. See there, I can remember where I was. <laughs> <laughs> Short memory right there. Short memory, yes. <laughs> Even when it comes to the things of God, we can live for de decades with God providing us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Yet wake up one morning overwhelmed with doubt. It's that way with us, and it was that way with the forgetful Israelites, the same people who saw the wonders of God at work in Egypt. We're now doubting God's deliverance on the cusp of promised land. As a result, the word of the Lord came to the people and pronounced judgment. An entire generation would die in the wilderness rather than take possession of the promised land. Only Joshua and Caleb, who had stood faithfully, would be the exceptions. Both the Israelites' punishment and Caleb's reward prove God's faithfulness. God always keeps his promises, even when not all those promises are happy. 
we shouldn't be shocked when trouble comes. We shouldn't be surprised as being insulted or marginalized. We shouldn't be dismayed when God's people lose their jobs or lie sick in the ICU. We shouldn't be surprised. Why shouldn't we be surprised? Because Jesus told us it would be so. See John 16.33. Okay, let's look at that one verse. John 16.33. Jesus said, I, I, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. Interesting verse to keep in mind. Continue. Not every promise is a happy promise, but every promise is an opportunity to reflect on the faithfulness of God. Let's not shrink back when we face difficult circumstances. Instead, let's commit again to follow God wherever he might be. We can do so with the confidence that God, who is faithful, says, that he says what he means and means what he says. Amen. God says what he means and means what he says. Well, notice that's in the, part, the last paragraph there. Not every promise is a happy one, is it? No, it's not, right? But every promise is an opportunity to reflect on the faithfulness of God. Let's not shrink back when we, when we face difficult circumstances, which is what naturally happens, right? Whenever we face difficulty, normally, normally our action is to retract, to shrink back. Instead, let's commit again to follow God wherever he might lead. We can do so with the confidence that God, who is faithful, says what he means and means what he says. We can't say that about many people around us sometimes, right? Uh, they say one thing and when you go back to him, you know, I really didn't mean that. I meant this. You know, God is not like that. Last question. Number five. How can we continually remind one another of God's faithfulness? Just like what we've been doing this morning, tell each other, testify of his provision and faithfulness. Right, sharing our experiences, right? Randy, when I, when I um, notice about each of these questions, they all points right to me. When I was in London for four years or so ago, mm -hmm. visiting my son, and when they had to call the ambulance, I was home alone, he had gone to the job, and then they had called, I had gone out on the porch and down the way, knock on every door. I said, I had this bad unbalancing in my head. Mm -hmm. And I said, I, to make a story short, they had, I did get somebody to come out. This lady, she was Polish. She mm -hmm. could very well communicate, you know, mm -hmm. well with me. So I said, she then got somebody else. And this person was an African. And she was more familiar uh, with my son than she was. Mm -hmm. So she called my son on the job and she let him know she has to call the ambulance to me. And they came and they got all the information they acquired and it took about an hour or so to reach the hospital where I was going. And um, when I got there, I didn't have to wait. I just went in and right away the doctors came who was supposed to be examining me about them. And they kept me for observation. I was there until the late hours of the evening, mm -hmm. like 
Edith, Edith, they are they close down by the area and they, they told my son that he came, but he has to take me to a specialist. Mm. And you know, that was Dallas. Praise the Lord, eh? Yes, yes. God is able. And you know, my lifeline, I always use Isaiah 41 and 10, and I looked at it just now, and mm. I said, each time, David said, uh, do not fear, for I am with you, do not be afraid, for I am your God, and I will call it my name. You know, <laughs> so the house, I told you not to fear, fear me, not to be afraid. And each time I will put my name right there, so you talk yeah. directly to me. Amen. God always has God always has you back. Yes. You know, no matter where you are in the world. Mm-hmm. We were, I went to my wife and I went to Michigan one time for a conference, and while we were there, there were people from all over the world at this conference, and the African lady who was there had a kidney problem. Not was it a kidney? It was a, a what's you call it? Uh, she had to have surgery for uh, appendix. Appendix, um, uh, she had to have that surgery, and she was miles, thousands of miles away from home. But all of the believers there rallied together and they got the funds, and then nobody knew her because we were all stranded. But everybody rallied together and they were able to raise the funds for her to have that surgery. God's got your back, no matter where you are, God's got you covered. Back to the point Christ centered living, choose. Trust in God, not in circumstances. She's a silver out of circumstances. He trusted in God, not the circumstances. All right, God always have your back. He's always got you covered. Okay, uh, let's look at how we can live this out now. Page 74. How will you actively trust God this week rather than circumstances? Consider the following suggestions. Share with your group one set of circumstances that is causing you to waver this week. And then two, think. Think about one specific person you know 
is dealing with difficult circumstances. Write a note of encouragement to that person. And three, finally, time. Spend some time researching and gathering some of the some of God's promises to his people. Write these on note cards to carry with you as reminders of his faithfulness. Amen? Okay, and the final point, unwavering, an unwavering faith doesn't mean circumstances won't be daunting. It certainly doesn't mean you'll never face opposition or trouble. Instead, an unwavering faith trusts that your circumstances are not the final say. It means choosing to trust in God regardless of what your senses might tell you. Amen? Amen.